You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, and Bill's Pipes. I'm your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got Iron Mike Treadwell. That's right, the number nine of Iron Mike Treadwell. Mike, how's it going? It's going very well. How are you? Hey, not too bad. It's up here in the great Canadian North, enjoying a beautiful sunny day and uh, calling one of my heroes, a guy who uh, I watched growing up racing Canadian Nationals as well as American Nationals. And um, for, 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 honestly, I got to say, uh, the first time I saw you on the bike, I thought this guy's probably on his farewell tour. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's gone through his entire career. He's come up to Canada for maybe one last kick at the can. And uh, 18 years later, uh, I, I sit here calling up a guy who's still actively racing. So what's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where um, I actually went to Canada. For the, I mean, I've been going to Canada for, for virtually my whole career. I started. Um, yeah, it's, 86. Yeah, exactly. 86, I started going to Canada, um, basically because the New England series kind of, um, I, I was from Maine, so we, we had snow, like right, right now, you know, buried in snow, and we didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, you're gonna have to excuse me. I've been sick. I went to California last week for A2, and Same I got, here. I got sick as a dog. Um, so I've been in bed for the last couple of days. So sorry if I hacked up there. But um, it's all so, good. Yeah, I um, I went to Canada uh, in '86 because you know back then no social media, no nothing. I didn't have any idea that the the NESC series that I raced didn't race a 250 class in the spring series. So we bought a 250 for my first year kind of racing pro in '86, and um they didn't have a series. They didn't start until what was called the fall series. They didn't even start racing those bikes until uh, 250 two-stroke until like uh, June of that year. So here I was, I had bought a bike and went to the first race in no class. I remember like, I actually raced against Carl Valancourt. Um, they gave, they gave, there was like seven of us that showed up that didn't have a clue. And um, they, they held a race for us. Um, it was like, like a six lap race at Southwick. And that's what they, they let us race, but there was no, um, there was no points or no money or no nothing. And, uh, so then I just, um, I actually, you know, was kind of talking to Carl and, and, uh, in his broken English back then and, and started going to a couple of races in Canada after that, you know what I mean? And, uh, um, and then in 87, I started going like, uh, to Revere to loop and all the arena crosses that they had up there. So I kind of was always familiar with what was going on in Canada and, um, always like every year I went to Canada, mostly it was arena crosses or, or, or some, um, some other races that I got invited to, um, outdoor races, but it was always, it was always a good time, like all the way up through. Um, that's why I still enjoy going there. You know, it's a really good atmosphere and I, and I love it. Met a lot of good people. So. Well, that's always the resounding, uh, um, 
statement that people find when they come to Canada. Like it's almost like I've talked to uh, some of the the young riders that are that are getting their feet wet by racing some Canadian arena cross races at Canadian nationals, and even guys like yourself who uh, basically refer to a Canadian national as a, a local race on steroids. Everybody's uh, for the most part, everyone's pretty cool with each other. Uh, you can go to each other's rigs, and no one's like there's not too many. Uh, bitter, bitter rivalries out there, and uh, um, it's more of a friendly atmosphere. It's a small town atmosphere, and, uh, and but the, the the racing is still very competitive, which is, I guess, what uh, what brought you up here in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things where <clears throat> growing up in New England. I mean, we had a really, really competitive series, and uh, and you got uh, you know JoJo Keller from the beginning. You know JoJo being being the the guy that. You know, won won races and and at nationals, won a moto at Washougal and and was second or third at Anaheim. You know, I mean the guy the guy, so he paved the way. And then you know, all, there was a lot of other guys that that stayed local that were extremely extremely fast. Dave Rudnicki, um, guys like that that were really really fast every week. And nobody really ever had a, a chip on their shoulder. You know what I mean? And and then the era came up through was myself, Keith Johnson, John Dowd, Doug Henry. Pat Barton, and then Valancourt always coming down. Uh, JSR in the beginning, I brought JSR to a few um, yeah, races back sure. in the early, early 90s, like when he had just turned pro in 92. Um, and everybody, you could just go, heck, my mom would cook food for people, and, and other people's moms would cook food for us. We'd go out and have a, a savage battle on the track and slamming each other and, and whatever, and then come off the track and, and sit down and have a, have a turkey sandwich with, with each other. You know what I mean? We never, we lived together. We trained together and we raced hard against each other, but nobody was ever dirty. So that's, I think that kind of um, pushed. So whenever I went racing anywhere else, I never really, if, if I was racing against fire, heated battle with somebody, I didn't, I never, I never took it to heart and said, oh, this guy's, this guy's a dick or something like that or whatever like that. Everyone's on the track racing hard and that's, that's the way it has to be. You know, I mean, you don't have to hate somebody to want to beat them. You know, and I think that everyone in Canada understands that, and that's it's a good atmosphere and it's a good, a fun thing. You know, I th- yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, something that can be uh, carried forward from all, a lot of different Canadian sports. Uh, not a, not unlike. Uh, um, uh, a, hockey, a hockey game. Uh, you'll you'll run each other into the boards all day long, but you'll still uh, you'll still share, still most likely share a beer with the guy after the game, and that that's that I, that's kind of the the feeling you get from Canadian motocross. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I said, I try telling the young kids that now, man. I know guys that won't go practicing with some somewhere because so and so is going to be there, and I'm just like, really? What does it matter? Just go there and pound it out, and and if you just learn, learn from the guy. You know, do whatever you got to do. Totally agree, and you know what? That that actually brings me up to a point that uh, I wanted to bring up with you is that uh, I know that you you did a lot of riding with Carl Valancourt and uh, JoJo Keller, John Dowd. Like you guys uh, would practice together, would put in laps together, and challenge each other week to week. Or uh, if it was somebody that you were looking to to beat at the uh, the NESC uh, series, like you wouldn't shy away from practicing with those guys. Lay it to them on a Wednesday afternoon because uh, come gate drop on Sunday, you knew you uh, you'd have that guy in your back pocket. Whereas nowadays you see a lot of guys that they don't like they're, they want, they want tunnel vision. They want to be the only guy at the track. If so, if their closest competitor shows up, they're, they're closing up shop because they don't want to show their cards. But, uh, right now in the uh, Supercross series, you've got, um, uh, Dungey and Anderson who are sitting one and two in the points and guess who ride with each other. 
No, exactly. <clears throat> I got to correct you though, Chad. We just uh, moved into second in the points, and I uh, couldn't be more pumped oh, about that. Enough. Couldn't be more pumped about that. Um, no a big, doubt. Got a big Chad guy, Reed right? fan. Yeah. Well, not only that, I've just always been, uh, <laughs> I've always been a Chad Reed fan. I've always liked the guy, and uh, nice. he, he just, um, I like the fact that he just, you know, left. Australia went to Europe and then came here and it cracks me up now. I was joking with some guys at A2. I'm like, everybody loves Cooper and I do too. I love Cooper Webb. He's a great kid and he's, uh, um, and you know, it, and he's awesome. But everybody loves Cooper yeah. because he says what's on his mind. When Chad Reed said what's on his mind from the very, very beginning, everyone like just hated on the guy because he said what was on his mind. He didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, when he first came over here and he, he felt like he should be in the 250 class versus the 125 class. Exactly. And everyone was like, who's this guy I think he is? And then of course the next year he goes out and wins eight supercrosses in the 250 class. You know, it's like, oh, well then maybe he was right. You know, so that, that stuff kind of cracks me up. But uh, anyway, I'm pumped that he's, uh, he's second. But getting back to your point, um, yeah, they, they, you can ride together, you can train together and you can, I mean, it elevates your game and it, it elevates you know, you see what people do. I mean, I saw how hard John Dowd worked. I saw that, you know, all the stuff that he put into racing, and I saw what, what he did, and, and it rubbed off on me. It was like, all right, nothing's going to be handed to you. You've got to work for every position. And I tell guys all the time, my whole racing career, if I was, you know, unless I was racing a local event, you know, I was never the fastest guy at the track ever. No national that I ever went at. Um, thank goodness for me, for my confidence, we didn't have transponders, you know, for, for, you know, 90% of my pro career, but I'd have been depressed. But if, if, if I knew how slow I was compared to like the fast guys, but in a 30 minute moto, you know, I could do whatever slow lap time I had, I could pound that out for 30 plus two. And that's the only thing that saved me, you know? So Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those things, you know, it's just a weird, it's a different, a different, uh, psyche. You know what I mean? Like guys can sit there and it can be the opposite effect. You can think, you know, you can lap time wise, you can be the fastest guy on the track. And then if you just don't have any, any endurance, then it doesn't do you any good. You know? Absolutely. You never want to be that one lap wonder, uh, and, um, and, and not be able to sustain it throughout the day. Uh, it seems like that's kind of been the case. Uh, if we're talking about a little bit of uh supercross right now is Christoph Purcell, a guy who, uh, can throw down that lap. We've seen it time after time after time qualifying. Uh, he's, he's way up there and, uh, just doesn't seem to either have that endurance long throughout the evening or really want to stick it in there. Uh, like, I, I don't think that's something you ever uh, came across in your, uh, um, in your career, kind of coming off as a bit uh, un- unable to enter the fight. It seems like uh, throughout your career, you always uh, rose to the occasion when it came to competition. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's all I kind of had. I learned, off, I learned early on in my career that I, I, I better be strong. I better be... Uh, I better be the, you know, the strongest or one of the strongest guys out there because my, my speed's not going to do it. My finesse, my technique, all that stuff's not going to, not going to do it. I just better be strong and, uh, and, and push the whole time. And just, uh, if I'm on you, when you get the two lap board, then you better be, you better be prepared for, for, for a showdown the last two laps. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm coming after you, but that, that was like my whole, approach to racing that that was it you know what i mean i knew i knew i was never going to have the best equipment i knew i was never going to have um the fastest lap times or anything like that and i just said you know what i'm going to just pound it out and just do the best i can that way and that's it that's only you know that was that was my approach so, 
where where does Iron Mike begin? I, I understand that you most likely rode uh, in in Maine, a lot of uh, great uh, off road trails and stuff like that. But where does motocross start for you? And um, what was the amateur scene like as you grew up uh, like for a short period of time racing before uh, uh, you you eventually turned pro in uh, in eighty six? Well, I started. Um, I did my first race. Uh, like I said, I was from from Maine, and uh, where it's yes. nine months of winter and three months of hard sledding, as we say. So I um <laughs> I uh, went to a little town Lions Club race in Skowhegan, Maine, um, in 1982. I did two races there um, in '82, um, which was a rubber band start, and um, that was the only thing I knew. I went. I saw. I saw it in the paper, in the local newspaper, and I convinced my parents to to take me. And um, got there late, of course, and uh, <laughs> missed practice and had to go out for, for like, a, a parade lap to just look at the track. And uh, I did good. I got second in my, my first race. And, uh, and then the next race we went there, I won. And then, uh, then I was hooked. And, and my dad used to race snowmobiles and stock cars when, when I was growing up. They had a little, um, obviously, um, a lot of snow in Maine. So we they had a lot of snowmobile series and stuff like that. My father used to race bowls. So once I did good that first race, my dad, my dad was kind of like, Oh, this is, this is pretty cool. This is a different, a different racing thing. He had already stopped racing, uh, uh, cars and snowmobiles and stuff. So he was pretty pumped on it. And then, uh, we kind of, I did some investigating and tried to find a series and there was a called the new England motocross um, series, but it catered to, um, 80 cc, uh, 125 cc and lower bikes, like 50 cc, 65. NESC catered to the bigger bikes, and that's uh, um, okay. NEMX, uh, NEMA, um, New England Motocross Association. They they catered to the smaller bikes. So I in '83 is when I really started racing. I started um, in NEMA and uh, did 80 novice, and I did that for like six weeks. I think I got a third or fourth my first race, and then I won the next two or three, and I made amateur pretty quick. And then I made expert by the end of that year. So 84, um, I raced 80 CC expert, um, all through 84. And then 85, I turned 125 amateur. And then by the end of that year, um, I was expert and then boom, the next year, um, I was sitting on the line at the Southwick national and the 250 national. So from 83 to 86, it was, it was a relatively quick, quick thing. And I, uh, I qualified for my first national that I went to at Southwick and, uh, and then, you know, and then after that, it was kind of, I mean, I was still in school. Um, so it was, uh, I didn't get the raid. Being from Maine, I didn't get really, I never, obviously never went to Florida or did anything like that. I just stayed here and then started racing NESC full time after that, you know. So that's, that's kind of how it all started, kind of snowballed quickly. No kidding. It seems like uh, in that day and age, uh, there was more opportunity for racing, and there was more opportunity to uh, to move up in uh, in the ranks as far as uh, what class you were going to ride. Um, who were some of the guys that you were riding with, racing with, who kind of helped you get to that next level? I, I'm sure that you were pushing each other at the at the practice tracks and stuff. Like, who are those riders that uh, either a you looked up to, to want to aspire to be like, and uh, who are some of those guys that uh, kind of helped you get there? Well, early on, obviously, it was JoJo. JoJo was the, the man. He was um, he was the guy. But honestly, um, being from Maine, I, I never pra- I never got to practice on a track. The only time I was ever on a track um, was at the races. Like we didn't have any tracks at all to practice on. Like like I said, the first time I was ever on a dirt bike track, I was at a race in Skowhegan, and then um, and then I kind of just went every week, and I would go. I, I would make makeshift tracks in a sandpit. Um, at my house, but I was the only one. There was nobody, nobody from my area. Um, 
raced or anything like that. There was a few guys that would trail ride and stuff like that where I was from, and I would try to get them to, to you know, to ride on this this track that I would try to lay out in the sand in the sand pit, but nobody really wanted to do it. They'd take like two laps and just stop and watch me. So I was constantly just by myself. You know, I mean, it wasn't anything on. The only time I was ever on a track was at the races. It wasn't until probably, gosh, I don't even know, like probably eighty five maybe 86 where I actually during the week um, a kid made a practice track and that stuff um, they it ended up turning into a racetrack they had a they had a track I'm um, this guy that ran a, a motorcycle shop Yvonne's track and trailer was called in Lewiston Maine he he made a he got a practice track going and then eventually um, in 1989 they had a they actually started having any SC races there. But previous to that, man, it was nothing. You could never, you, you didn't really have many, many places to ride. Um, just interestingly enough, I mean, uh, me and John Dowd made uh, expert at the same time and our first expert race was together and we kind of just hit it off from, from day one. You know what I mean? We, we had that like friendly oh, competition, you know, both of us, he rode a 250 amateur. I rode 125 amateur and we moved up and, you know, together and to the 250 class and like and then it was just like a friendly rivalry you know i mean the 125 guy versus the 250 guy um you know it was it was you know we became fast friends and then kind of you know that you know rest is history i mean just stayed together lived together first year i went to florida um for the winter me him and keith johnson um lived together i mean me and keith had been friends my first that was my, keith johnson was like the first guy i met actually at, at the race the first race i went to in uh and back in that nema and, uh, it, you know, it, me and him became best friends, like, right off the bat and still to this day, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, one of those things. Kind of came up no through the ranks together. And... Oh, go ahead. No, I just said we came up through the ranks together and kind of just always stayed stayed together, you know? And then it's funny going all the way up through to uh, Canada when we started doing the Canadian Nationals, and you know, in, in the 2000s and dealing with, like, Andy White. Andy White would call me and KJ and Dowdy the New England Mafia. Like man, when you deal with one, you deal with all of them. <laughs> no kidding, you you can't invite one without getting the whole crew to come out. And yeah. uh, it's it's a, a sport like motocross that uh, forges those relationships. Um, I, I think it's something that's so ingrained in in motocross races. That's why that. Um, when you come to a motocross race, uh, when you leave, more often than not, even if you don't, you you didn't meet that person at the race or talk to them at all during the race day, uh, on your way out, if you lock eyes with anybody, like they'll either give you a nod or like a, a little bit of a wave or something like that. It's just this common respect of these people who who understand like you came out and did your best. Uh, we're all risk, we're all uh, risking the biscuit out here uh, for uh, for a plastic trophy uh, or maybe some cash by the end of the day. But uh, it, it's it's kind of a, a really cool brotherhood, and it's cool that you were able to uh, uh, cultivate those relationships with guys who um, would would eventually basically develop an entire career on hard work and steady rise to uh, to do some some great success because obviously um, being from Maine or, or New England or Connecticut or anything like that is a difficult place to come out of, uh, for motocross and uh, you guys were able to do it. Yeah, it's this, you know, and I feel very, very fortunate that, like like I said, the guys that I grew up in that era that I came up through, and I tell guys that all the time, I sound like the bitter old man. When guys when guys whine at me and say, oh, I don't have this support and I don't have that support, I say, listen, I, not that I did it because, I, I mean, I did, but I didn't have, I mean, I, I mean, I had a, you know, I'm happy with my career, but, I mean, I look at John and Doug, and they both want, I mean, Doug 
you know, multi-time national championship won races, and John won a ton of races and uh, won an East Coast Supercross championship, a West Coast Supercross championship, and got factory rides and all that stuff. And those guys did all that on those results on bikes that, like, were absolutely bone stock and, and everything, zero support, nothing. They didn't have anything at all, and they did it. And I and I, so I tell guys all the time, it doesn't matter what you what what you have if you put in the work and do and get the results, you're gonna get the help. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna get the get you're gonna get the support, man. So I don't I don't buy into that whole excuse that I don't have enough money to do this and I don't have enough money to do that. Just prioritize yourself, invest in yourself. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. That you got if you gotta want it or or it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. It's not it's not gonna be given to you at all. You know. For sure, and I'm sure along the the years, like uh, throughout your travels, you've come across more than a few athletes that have been kind of held back by their own uh, inability to make make the best of things. You know what I mean? Like to to just keep pushing through uh, with not the greatest ride, but make the best of a situation to get those results to possibly better themselves. Guys who end up uh, right now probably working uh, a 365 uh, nine to five job, uh, no longer in motocross, whereas uh, you still throw the leg over the bike. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all depends on what, what you want. I mean, I really feel like the guys that, that uh, didn't do it, I mean, they, they didn't want it enough. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you, know, you see so many guys that, uh, that come through the sport and man, boom, they, they win right off at an early age and, um, and it came easy to them. And then no matter what, you're going to, you're going to eventually win. If you're somewhat decent guys, if you're an amateur, guys are going to move up to expert. They're going to move out of your class. And even if you got no faster yeah. at all, you're still going to win. So once, if these guys win, and they they do really well really quickly, and then all of a sudden they become pros, and all of a sudden they're, they're racing against guys that have been been there for a long time and worked hard, and and it doesn't come easy. Guys lose interest quick. You know what I mean? If they realize how hard they have to work in order to get that result, some guys just don't want to do it. You know, and uh, that's that's you know that's a deterrent. Guys, that's why you see a lot of guys with a lot of talent um, just go away because they're like, oh, man, I don't want to work that hard. You know seen it, you know, seen it just, just all over the place. I've seen it a thousand times and throughout my career with guys that, that could have, should have, would have, you know what I mean? The next big thing that just doesn't make it because there's so many deterrents out there that kind of takes you off that path that you wanted to go on. And next thing you know, boom, it's over. You know, the window of opportunity is, uh, is, is pretty, pretty narrow, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, I've seen it even, even at the local level, there's plenty of kids that, uh, they race fifties, they race sixty fives, they race eighty fives, and they're untouchable. All they do is get whole shots and win motos, and uh, they move up to the, the the junior class and the intermediate class, and they just keep winning because they they didn't forget how to ride a dirt bike. They just twist the throttle a little bit harder, and all of a sudden they end up in uh, the A class or the pro class with uh, with guys like uh, local guys like Don Formo and Earl, Earl Reimer and and guys like yourself who are uh, have been doing it for a long period of time. They've put in the work. And you know what? They know how to. They still know how to do it, and uh, they'll like, easily put these kids in their place. And that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of these kids that uh, otherwise have not experienced something like that. And uh, it takes um, uh, a pretty strong person to be able to get over that. And uh, we've seen it all too often. A lot of kids don't don't end up doing so. Well, that's just it. Yeah, they're like, what? What? You know? How, how am I getting beat by this guy? You know what I mean? Like, because they overlook yeah. it. You know what I mean? I get I get it all the time. I'm 47 years old, and I'm, you know, if I'm beating a kid that's that's 20 years old, he's just like, what, what, what's going on here? Like, how, how does this happen? 
Like, I don't know. You, you tell me. You got to work a little hard during the week. I don't know. So I've been just doing my thing every week, and that, that's it. I'll, I'll take my 10th in one race, and then I might win the next one. You never know. All depends. Right on. So uh, I, I wanted to uh, kind of pick your brain about Supercross because um, one, one would, would expect that uh, all, all of your best results were, uh, were outdoors. You seem like more of an outdoor guy, although you still have a lot of, uh, you had a lot of success in Arena Cross and Supercross. And I, I were actually able to uh, make both main events uh, for, uh, during a Supercross, which not too many people can say uh, they've done. Um, but uh, if, you, if you look at the motocross vault on, uh, on racerex.com, um, literally the only thing that comes up is supercross results. So, uh, either you're invisible to motocross in the States or, uh, or you're just a supercross specialist. One of the two. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, I rode all the supercross. That's another thing that just, you know, when you, I was out at the Yamaha test track and I was joking with uh, Seth Rarick and, you know, you look at this, these guys out there testing and there's two different tracks and, and, uh, the first time I was ever on a supercross track was at a race. Like that's never, never saw a supercross track at all. And just went showed up at Miami and Miami supercross. Like just, that's all right. That was the first round of the East coast. Let's go, let's go check that out. And, uh, just, just, you know, that's, we were so unprepared for that stuff, but, um, no, I, I, I did good. Like, I mean, I was always, um, never did the whole series. Um, like I did, I did like the best I did. I think 95, I finished ninth in the, in the East coast supercross series. And I, um, I missed two rounds because the Florida winter series was going on and they paid really good money at the winter rounds with contingency back okay. then. And, um, and then the winter series paid really good. So I didn't go to Houston or Minneapolis or something like that, wherever, wherever the two um, rounds were that, that, um, that year that were during the winter series, right. I didn't right. go to those two. And then I finished off the series. And I ended up finishing ninth in the series. And I had, and I had some, uh, a few, I had, I had a few top tens in that, um, in that, uh, in that East coast series that year. Um, I think seventh and sixth and I think, yeah, I don't three even sevens know. I don't and ninth know. and an 11th place finish. You yeah. were, you were looking good. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, it, um, I ended up getting ninth in the series. And then, you know, like before that, prior to that, I had qualified, like you said, I qualified, I always qualified, you know, for, for the main events, you know what I mean? It was always, always wanted to be, you know, that was the big thing. I always rode both classes just so that I could, if I got lucky and got in the 250 main, then that would pay for me to get to the next race for sure. And then, you know, and then contingency in the, in the, um, in the 125 class would kind of just help me huge, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I had a lot of outdoor results too. I don't know why, um, it's, it's, it should be, it should be in there. I mean, I've got a lot of, um, I mean, I had a national number from 19, and you didn't score points in 125 Supercross back then. They didn't allow the, they didn't yeah, count right. the points, whatever. They didn't count the points. And I had a national yeah, you were number. 68 for, or, you were 67 yeah, was, and 91 and 70 and 92. Yeah. So uh, you yeah. had to have been racing some uh, some outdoors. Yeah, I mean, 90, 91, I was number, yeah, 1990 was the first time I, like, started, uh, I, I did. Back then, it was weird. They had, like, a pro-am. Um, you signed up for pro-am junior or expert that was your those your three choices for 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 your national for to, to, to race a national and and um the first the first year or so i signed up for pro-am and pro-am didn't get anything like if you scored points you didn't get you didn't get a number so in 1990 um 89 or 90 they changed it um and it just went pro-am and expert and pro-am could ride like 125 supercross or something like that 
So 90, I scored X amount of points to get number 67 and 91. And then I had a national number all the way up through um, 05. Or I think I think I missed 05 season. I think I had one. I think I had a number in 05. I think it was number 76 or something in 05. But I didn't. Um, I never raced any in 05 because um, the Canadian Nationals all conflicted. I mean, I had a national number for all those years, so I scored enough points in the Nationals to get, you know, to get a number, two-digit number, I should say. And then, uh, and I actually scored points at uh, at Southwick my last race. I got a 14th, but but I was like a point or two shy from getting a number going into 07. So, um, but yeah, you know, I I I, I don't know I don't know why I, I wouldn't be in the in the in the results, but uh, I'm I'm sure I'm in there somewhere. You got to look a little deeper. <laughs> Fair enough. We're gonna have to dig a little deeper to yeah. uh, to, yeah. to to uh, mark all the accolades of uh, of one Mike Treadwell in the AMA series. Uh, uh, no doubt, some some decent finishes uh, at Southwick National. Not only a, a track that would basically be a hometown track for you, but uh, you, you would consider yourself a bit of a sand specialist. Yes, no? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up racing and and just riding. Like I said, sand pits and at, at home in Maine and. Uh, um, yeah, my best, my best overall result, I think I actually is a sixth or seventh at Southwick. Um, I did the same thing, but even not at Unadilla, though. I went like nine, seven at Unadilla one year. So, um, I did, did good there. I'm 93 or 94, something like that. I got, uh, I don't know what it was for overall result, but, uh, I think I went nine, seven. And then, yeah, I, but Southwick mostly was always like, I remember 92, I went like eight, 10 for eight at, at uh, at Southwick. Um, that was in the two fifty class too back then. Um, about the one twenty five. And uh yeah, it was I always bounced around what I just would wing it. Whatever I felt good on, um, the week before Southwick National is what I raced. You know what I mean? That's 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 how I did it. When I got that ride for um for KTM in O two, I had actually signed up for the four fifty class. Um on my five I was gonna race my five twenty at Southwick National and then I got that factory ride um, when Langston was hurt and, uh, I had to change my, luckily there wasn't enough entries to cut it off. And I changed my entry at the last second to, to ride 125 that day. You know, otherwise I was, I was riding the old five, five twenty. Well, actually that, 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 that's uh, perfect timing actually. Cause I actually, uh, I text, uh, Davey Coombs right before, uh, I, I called you and I, I asked, <laughs> what, what, what do I bring up with this guy? And he said, you, uh, you can't hang up the phone without, uh, asking, asking him about, uh, 2002, uh, Southwick. So, uh, if you could take us through that day, um, you're on a lightning fast factory 125, no links, uh, air box straight into that carburetor, uh, screaming on a, uh, a night, the number 91 was uh was moving that day yeah you know everything was uh was pretty darn good going on that day um i was riding really really well i'm heading into that um i was really pumped going to canada that year um i was actually leaving i my i had my flight for tuesday after the south of national to go up to uh darren pilling's house up in uh up in Kelowna, coolest place in the world by the way Kelowna, British Columbia. Love that place. Um, but, uh, yeah, everything was, was gelling. And then, uh, Dan Salomon from KTM at the time had called me and said, Hey man, I'm, um, I'm working on something. Um, with KTM, um, would you, would you be willing, would you want to ride the one five class? I'm like, uh, whatever, dude, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do. You know, um, I, I planned on trying to concentrate on the four, on the, on the five twenty just because the first West rounds of Canada were, you know, I was going to be racing the, that uh, 
fire breathing 540 that they built for me. So that was, that thing was gnarly. So I was like, all right, I, I kind of concentrate. I rode the one five class at the local level. Um, and then like the week before the national, he, he, he asked me about it, like maybe a week and a half. Um, and, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll definitely do it. I was, I was pumped. And then Ron, you know, Ron Heben called me from KTM. He was a KTM team manager and, uh, said, Hey, we're going to put together a, you know, a three day deal for you, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal for you, um, to ride for, for, for us. So I had to, you know, I had to call, it was a wild, it was a wild few days cause I had to call all my sponsors because there was a few of them that were conflicting, um, at the time. So I was riding for Fox and I had to call them and say, Hey, can I wear, gear at the South of national this year, which kind of sucks because typically every year, um, that's my best race. So for, for all your, all your, um, normal sponsors, when you're going to get, when you're going to get, uh, publicity and then you got to call them and ask them, Hey, can I get out of this for this one race? And, and luckily for, for me, race of the year. yeah, for the biggest race of the year, most exposure that you guys are going to get from me <laughs> down here in the States. Um, can we just uh, nullify that today? So that, that kind of, it really, really sucked. Um, you still but wore it was the really, helmet, yeah, yeah. I got to wear the helmet and the boots for Fox. So that was, and I actually got a few, few, um, pictures, which I was bummed, um, because Bob Rathcan from Garnet had helped me out so much throughout my whole career. I still ride for him now. Um, and that year, um, I had to wear the Fox boots and all that stuff that year. And then that was one thing where, you know, I always felt bad because Bob helped me out forever. And then here I got like five pages and, in the racer X and I'm wearing Garnet. I'm wearing, uh, I'm not wearing Garnet boots. I'm wearing Fox boots. I'm like, ah, oh, man. But, uh, but I had to wear them the whole year that year anyway. But, um, anyway, yeah, that was a difficult part. Um, on my end was, was, um, calling all sponsors and saying, Hey, can I, can I do this? And, and luckily for me, everyone was super pumped for my, you know, for, for me getting the, the deal and all that stuff. And, uh, I met up with those guys on like Thursday and Andrew Langston, who, was Grant's mechanic um, just came out and like treated me like like I was a full time factory guy like he was just awesome you know at all the stuff oh what do you what do you want to change what do you want to do I'm like dude um, what what am I gonna change I rode the bike and I was I was like this thing is is phenomenal I could do second gear starts and deep sand which I you know I couldn't uh, I couldn't do that normally on my regular bike, which I thought the spot KTMs were really, really fast that year. And, uh, I actually had a set of, um, factory suspension from Canada, that factory connection down here had done for me. So I was going to bring those to Canada with me anyway, the next week. So we just bolted those on to that factory bike and, uh, they let me do that. And, uh, and boom, I just went out and, and rode. I, I felt really, really good. I went testing with those guys and everything was, was gelling. I felt really good. My lap times were actually good <laughs> for a change. They were really good. Um, that bike was so fast and, uh, I won my qualifier that day and I, uh, I was really, really confident going into the races. I mean, I knew I could do, I remember riding with uh, Steve Boniface at the time, the kid from France. I took him riding Yeah. and, and uh, his father was just like, man, you're fit you're fit. <laughs> That's all I could say. And, you know, and, uh, cause I was just pounding out the motos and, uh, and Steve would ride like, you know, 10 minutes and then pull off and change something on the bike. And I was just like, just slamming thirties down. Like it was my job. And, uh, he was like, man, you're really fit. And I, and like, I knew, you know, he'd probably be faster than me for last time. But I knew I'm like, ah, dude, I, I know I can beat this guy in 30 minutes for sure. And, uh, I actually felt really, really good going in. Like I said, won my heat race, Got a decent start, was running like maybe seventh. Um, first moto, 
like five laps in, just just clipped the bump wrong, and went over the bars, jumped up, broke my hand, my like index finger knuckle, I broke that, and I got up, and, and I was still inside the top 10, I got up and took off, and I rode the rest of the moto, and it just my finger was killing me, and, and I um I made a stupid, stupid, stupid mistake of reading the um, pit board completely wrong, and he put, uh, Andrew put 20, 25 on it on the pit board, but it was 25 minutes in and I was still running like 12. A couple of guys were passing, but I didn't know where I was, where I was at. And, uh, like I said, my hand was just killing me and I was like, shit, I'm already out of, out of the points now. I'm in, I'm in 25th and there was only like three laps to go. And I just, I pulled in, I just like a complete idiot. I pulled in and, uh, so I blew points in that moto and I gave myself a horrible start for the second moto. And I just, uh, I went out in the second moto with a crappy gate pick and got taken out in the first turn and started last. And, uh, I actually rode my butt off and worked up through to, I think I got 11th in the second motor or something like that. So it was yeah, one of those passing, days. Uh, Ivan Tedesco in the last lap. Yeah, exactly. Well, what was funny too was, uh, Ron, he even had a bet with Mitch cause I rode for Mitch, you know, I'm you know, still, still riding for him now on the pro circuit. Yeah. And, um, yeah. been with that guy for like 25 years. And, um, always taking care of me really, really well. It's been super, super, super cool to me. And, uh, he had a bet going with Heaven that, you know, and he even said I'd beat his guys and, uh, and, you know, and, and of course, uh, Mitch had to say, no, he won't. And I ended up, you know, I came from dead last and caught through him. I remember I had passed Matt Walker and, uh, and then I caught Tedesco on the last lap. And like you said, man, no matter what, broken hand or not, uh, last lap I was like, I don't care. I'm getting, I'm getting around this guy no matter what, you know. And uh, so, but, and it was pretty cool for me. That's why I said it made me feel really good to like feel like one of the guys because the whole KTM team had little towels and they were, they were all the mechanics and and spotters and all that stuff were around the track and they just like right down to the last lap. You probably already had guys. Stewart was probably already pulling off the track, checkered flag, and they're still out there waving those towels and cheering you on and shit like that. So it was, it was a really cool experience. Really cool. No doubt, Which actually. Uh, um, many would not remember that that is uh, Danny Smith's only uh, uh, national win. Uh, a one-five was good enough for uh, was first overall with James going thirty-one uh, on the day. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that day, I mean, you know, whatever. People would, would probably think I'm full of shit or whatever like that. But honestly, that day, I mean, uh, first moto running running where I was at and how strong I felt um, with Chad. Chad went out that day. That's another reason why I was a Chad Reed fan. After that. I had to go because I had broken my hand and I went over to, to they didn't have an Asterisk medical crew or anything like that. They just had a, somebody in a motorhome yeah. over there that was, and they had to pop his shoulder back in, man. And he, he, he I, I had, I went over there after and, and he was sitting there and I was like, holy shit, that thing doesn't look good. You know, and they popped it back in and he rode second moto and I was like, this guy's tough, man. I, I thought, you know, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty damn tough right then. That was the first time I had ever, you know, seen him, you know, and, uh, I'd heard about him. Okay. Obviously I've seen him on TV, but uh, I was like, you know what? He went out and got a third in the second moto. And I was like, but on that day, I, I was like, man, I, I really think I could have, could have podiumed, um, had everything gone right just because those guys did that. I mean, granted, I would have needed help and all that stuff. But I mean, I was already, I was already like inside the top seven and James and, and, uh, Chad went out. I didn't inherit fifth. I wouldn't have got tired. I would have charged the whole time. You know what I mean? I don't make a stupid mistake and break my break my knuckle. Um, 
you know, I uh, I really believe, and now I want to get a good gate pick for Sakamoto. I mean, I really think that that stars if the stars had aligned right, I could I could have squeaked something out that day. That was I, that bike was phenomenal. It gave me so much confidence that it was it was incredible. So, you know, but if if this were fifth, we'd all be drunk, right? So, so it is what it is. I'm still happy for go. the experience. I'm still. Uh, you know, I still I still had a great day and, and, and it was an awesome awesome time. So, I and I and I have a constant reminder because I was supposed to get it pinned. I was needed to get it my uh, knuckle pinned in order to straighten it out. And then, like I said, I had to leave Tuesday for Canada to go test. I needed to go up there and try to get the bike dialed in before the first race was at was at um oh the wastelands there in Nanaimo that that Sunday the Nanaimo, Sunday yeah. after, after Southwick and. Uh, and I friggin' jump on the plane with a cast on my head, you know? Um, and I was supposed to get it pinned in order Darcy to straighten it up. I think Darcy Land won that weekend. What's that? I think Darcy Land won that weekend. Yeah, that would have been 0-2. I think Darcy, Darcy went 1-1, I think, that day, yeah. Yeah, yeah shit. Yeah, I think he, I think, well, yeah, he because is... he did, yeah. Darcy kicked everyone's ass that week, and then that's when he broke his back the next week at Kamloops. That's right. Going, the, jump, uh, jumping that yeah, triple, triple section. Yeah, he smoked that's up right. at the... Yeah, at at uh, at, at Nanaimo, man, he was he was he was in another time zone. He killed everyone that day. Um, but yeah, that was um. So I showed up, I showed up in the airport, you know, and Darren picked me up at the airport, the team manager for KTM that year, and I got a cast on my hand. You know, he's like, okay, so what's up? <laughs> but I didn't end up getting it pinned, and uh, it's still crooked to this day. Here we are, you know, whatever, thirteen, fourteen years later, and uh, and still racing. Yeah. Yeah, still racing, but I got a crooked finger. I remember telling Andrew, you got to change the lever, like in between motors. I'm like, yeah, the lever's all bent, and like the lever was perfectly straight. It was my finger that was bent, and my finger was all jacked up and was bent. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty funny. It's like, I don't know, I'll change it if you want me to, but look at it. I'm looking at it, I'm like, how can that thing not be bent? And I'm like, oh, wait, it's my finger. Oh, God, that thing, it wouldn't straighten out. So the doctor was like, oh, we're going to have to break it and pin it. And I said, no, nah, that's not going to happen. i got to leave Tuesday to go to Canada, so We'll just ride it out and see what happens, and that's what happened. She healed like that, and that's how she's been. Got a constant reminder of my crash from O2 Southwick. <laughs> oh, it's a story uh, that you can uh, you can share with uh, race fans for for years to come, and I, I yep. don't doubt that uh, many of stories were brought up over uh, your most recent trip to California. You mentioned you got sick after uh, probably spending some time in some airports, but uh, I wanted to touch on that. Um, what was it like, uh, like kind of reconnecting with some uh, some motocross industry uh, folk and uh, and and swapping stories with uh, with some motoheads, including uh, the, Ryan, the new Flockhart, a guy that uh, you shared uh, teammate ship in 2003 with yeah news always been a good buddy of mine for forever um going into that 03 season i was the one that was pushing i didn't know that i was going to be the team manager actually um going into 03 at the end of 02 yeah. uh i was you know pushing down killing to um to hire new I, I thought new uh, had a lot of potential and i thought that he uh with the right guidance that he could uh he could do a lot, you know, he could do, he could do really, really well. And, uh, I was kind of pushing KTN to, to, Hey, this is Jake Weimer with team Tedder racing. And you're listening to big MX radio. We're going to commercial break. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner 
and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice or just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Indigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12 the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. The 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter-X, Volcano and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, 
they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to BillsPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lininovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. Sign him for the next year. They did at the end of 02, and then some things kind of went weird with, with KTM, um, with Darren, and then they asked me to be the team manager as well as ride. So that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a wild year. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I had coach? known Ryan, I had known Ryan before that. I met him in 2000 at an arena cross. He was like a, I don't know, 15 year old kid at an arena cross in, uh, in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And, and of course I get, I, and I didn't know who he was and uh, everyone was just talking about, Oh, Newt's going to do this. Newt's going to do that. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to rain on this kid's parade, but I'm going to wax his ass, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I ended up having a good weekend that weekend. I won, uh, I think I won three out of four main events. And, but I got to know Newf. I actually battled with him and got to know him. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, this is a good kid, man. He's, you know, and, uh, ever since then we, we hit it off really well. And I kind of, and all my, and you know, all my years that year, I ended up going to Canada, but he got hurt. Um, and I got, and I went to Canada at the end of that year. And in Oh one, we, uh, you know, we hung out a lot in 2001. We hung out a lot together, and then in 2002 again, we hung out a lot together, and uh, and you know, just tried to get him to go <clears throat> go on that team, and kind of it was it was a good year. It was a fun year. We had a good year. So, I mean, results wise, um, my results were horrible, um, but Newf won, won a moto that year and uh, Deschambeau, so that was uh, that was awesome for the team. So, it was uh, it was good, you know, and it was good. Uh, going to California and, uh, and reconnecting with him, got to sit and we watched the race together. And, uh, I got to see so many people and it was cool for me to go to KTM and, uh, and see them a lot of new, new people, but still, 
Um, not surprising, a lot of old, you know, I, you know, I went to the race shop and saw Andrew Langston. He was super cool, and uh, and just all the people there. There's a few other people that uh, I knew from from previous um, teams that are now working for KTM, and uh, it was it was just really cool to to go there and, and the fact that they're just like a family there, and it's uh, it was really cool, you know. Absolutely. Uh, how did you get the invite out to uh, the the Yamaha test track? That's uh, uh, not not everyone gets to uh, to spend some time out there. Yeah, I'm a uh, Seth Rarick, a kid from New York, is a good, real good kid um, that races in New England sometimes. Well, everyone knows Seth; he races in, in Canada. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was talking to him and Jimmy Dakotas. Is um, all those test tracks are right, right on the same, you know, same property basically. Um, yeah. And um, and uh, I was going to see Jimmy at the, at the Honda test track. I'm real, uh, you know, I'm childhood friends. Me and Ricky Z, the Ziggy that owns Factory Connection. I mean, we used to go to okay. races together. He's from New Hampshire. I'm from Maine. And we used to we, we used to pick him up um, on our way through, and he, we would go to the races together. Um, and uh, oh, wow. I actually went out. Yeah, I went out and toured uh, toured Ziggy's shop. State of the art thing is awesome. So I went out and hung out with with, with Zig for a while, and uh, went to lunch. Man and, of many and, words. Yeah, yeah. See, he doesn't say too much, man. You know what? But when he does, no. listen. When he does, you listen. He's no, he, he picks his spots, eh? Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely is, and I mean, I've known the guy for, like I said, I mean, in 1985, we went to, we traveled to the races together. I mean, sometimes me and him would have to sit in the back of the truck, because um, there wasn't enough room. We didn't have no quad cabs back then. It was a single cab truck, and we, you know, we would sit in the back of the truck on the on the ride, you know, to the races, going driving to Southwick and stuff. So, um, two bikes in the back, and us sitting in between them, you know. And uh, I don't think that that would go go by safe safe safety regs nowadays, but. Uh, um, not. yeah, I mean, uh, no, you know, we, we, we've, we've been good friends for, for, forever. And, uh, and, um, no, yeah, we're talking 30 years now. And, uh, um, so it was cool. I was going to go to, to the, to the Honda test track. And then I talked to Seth and he was going out with Cooper to the Yamaha test track. And I said, Oh, I'll swing by, you know, and, and see everyone. And, and it was actually cool. So I got to see Buddy Antonez and Brian Fleck from Dunlop and Simon Cudby was there. There was like a lot of, there's like a lot of people there that just, you know, got to say hi to. Plus I got to meet a lot of, <laughs> totally embarrassed myself. So I, uh, um, Gareth Swanepoel was there. They introduced me to him. And, uh, of course, uh, Seth was talking about, uh, Southwick and stuff. He's like, ah, oh, Tread's the king of Southwick and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I had known the name, you know, Swanepoel, but I didn't, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I don't keep track of everything, and I'm laughing because I said, "Hey, did you ever race Southwick?" And he was totally cool. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I raced there before, you know." And uh, I'm like, "Oh, how'd you like the track and everything?" He's like, "Oh, it's good. I actually won, you know, the second moto there in 2011." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I feel like an idiot now. I have to if he ever raced there, you know." But I won, won a moto, you know. So it was, it was pretty funny. But I got to see a lot of people there, and then went down to uh, the Honda test track and saw all the, all the guys there. And, got to see Larocco and, and actually Christian Craig. It was funny because Christian, um, a lot of, a lot of history at that little track for, for pretty comical because they used to race with RJ Hampshire's dad, Ricky Hampshire, um, back in the nineties in Florida at the winter series. So I've known, I've known his dad for 25 years. And then, you know, Christian used to be at the, at the races all the time in 01, you know, Christian, when Mike was doing the Canadian nationals, Christian was flying around the BMX bike with and in between stuff, and, you know, and all, it's just, it's just pretty funny. Huh? It's like a, uh, it is a small little family, you know what I mean? Sitting there, you know, talking to these guys and, you know, and everything. So it was, it was pretty cool. You know, it was a great experience. For, 
First piece of motocross memorabilia I was able to co- collect was a Mike Craig number 99 front number plate uh, decal. Yeah. And I was over the moon. What Got it was in Brunthal, Manitoba. I think that's 2000 or 90. Yeah, that was, that'd be 01. That would be 01 in Grenthal. Oh, I that's love 01. that place too. Grenthal, I just, that was an awesome track. I wish that track was back on the CMRC series. I may even, might even fly out if that was the race. You know, that track was awesome. I used to love that place. <laughs> well, we, uh, as, uh, um, as, as local riders, we, we race there no less than I think four or five times a year, just because we love the track so much. Great soil, uh, kind of deep chocolate Brown with some sand mix in there. Uh, kind of a, a perfect storm for, uh, Mike Treadwell to, uh, lay down some knobbies. Yeah. That place was, that, that place was just awesome. I remember the first year I went there, it was like, um, I was bummed out because I had a shoulder injury from, I don't know where I crashed in the middle of the week. I think we stayed back that week or something like that. That was actually the first time um, prior to that. I was always having to fly in and fly out because um, of my job. And I actually, um, I actually was able to, to take a little bit of a leave. I took, I took like a month leave of absence from my job and I was able to stay back um, that week before before it was either before I think it was after Calgary and might have been before Grenfell and I, I high sided and crashed and separated my shoulder like the Wednesday before that race and I got there and I was just like oh my god this track is so awesome and uh, I struggled I mean I think I got a fourth in the second moto only because it was 100 degrees outside and everyone was just dying I remember Craig Decker almost passed out he got third I was reeling him in on the last lap like like he was like 10 seconds ahead of me and I <laughs> It was like 9.5 seconds or something like that in the last lap. And he got off the track, ripped his helmet off, ripped his shirt off. He was just, he was dying. And uh, uh, that, I was laughing. That was the only reason why I did good that day because I was hurting with my shoulder. And uh, I just, I just, uh, I love that place. It was cool. It was definitely cool. Right on. So the, the first year uh, you, you would have uh, come up here for, for Grunthal would have been 99 or 2000? No, it was uh, it was actually oh one. That was my first time ever being there in oh one. I raced, okay. I raced. Um, I only rode three rounds. I was number twelve in oh one, but I only rode three rounds in in uh, two thousand. Okay. I showed up for I showed up for Moncton, um, which I rode. I rode both classes. I think I got a second in the one twenty five, and I think I got like a sixth in the two fifties. And the next week was uh, Overton, and I got second again in Overton to Josh Woods, and then I think I got like a fourth in the. Uh, 250 class, and then we went to Latouk, and I won Latouk because it was a full-blown sand track. I won Latouk and got third in the 250. So it was a, it was a good three rounds I did, and I guess I was number 12 for the next year. And I was actually on my way. I was loaded up my van, and I was heading out to uh, Walton that year. And I was going to try to do Walton because I wanted to finish top 10 in the points. If I did good at Walton, I would have actually got top 10 in the 250 class in the points, only doing four rounds. And um, – my wife went into labor for my for our first first daughter, Lindsay, and uh, and I was like, uh, "Ooh, I'm not going to Walton." And uh, so we spent uh, spent the next couple of days in the hospital with the uh, birth of my, my my first daughter. So that's always around. It was always around Walton was my was my daughter's birthday. Was my daughter's birthday. So it's pretty funny. You get to c- celebrate uh, her birthday with Canadians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was. Uh, we always used to have to when I was doing the nationals up there. We always had to. Um, you know, celebrate her birthday a little bit before, a little bit after. Well, it, it was a, uh, you know, a must do. I had to, I had to, I would have to be at Walton. So, 
Well, what you're going to have to do for her 18th birthday is is come out, uh, come up and and race uh, Walton in one of the age classes, or maybe even the pro class, and yeah. uh, so she can enjoy her uh, her 18th birthday and uh, and and maybe have a couple of uh, of pops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'm actually trying to get him to go. To, if they, if I go with him this year, I want him to, I want him to come with me. But we'll see. We'll see. Fair enough. Well, uh, so. 2001 rolls around and uh, earning number 12 in the in the country. Uh, one would think that uh, you would you would have found yourself on a on a powerhouse team like a Richmond Gallon Kawasaki or or a, a, a Blackfoot. Uh, what why did you end up uh, end up on on the Morgan Racing team? Um, it was uh, I was actually talking to that year. I was talking to Blackfoot a lot and. Um, I actually talked to to Gowan too for from the Amet Gowan team, and um, John was supposed to come up too. John was gonna gonna go up, and uh, he had that deal with KTM. Kind of came in late, and he was gonna go, and we were gonna kind of go together, and uh, and then like November of that year, Blackfoot decided they were gonna go do Supercross, and you know I have a full I've had a full I had a full time job all the time the whole time doing the doing the whole series, so. I couldn't. I couldn't go. Obviously, couldn't just show up on weekends and go do Supercross. You got to go and live in, in California and do all that stuff. And so there's no way I could do Supercross um, for Blackfoot. And that's when they ended up signing Mike Crane. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, and which which stung for me because I kind of was banking on that whole Honda thing. And I had a real good deal down here in the states with a shop down here called Manchester Honda that. Um, that was like a powerhouse team in New England and I had ridden for them in 2000 and I had everything all dialed in for them. And when that kind of fell through that, that kind of ruined my plans. So then it went, I kind of went scrambling and, uh, and Morgan's deal, Chris Morgan's team came on really, really late. And it was one of those things where I, I, I really wanted to go to Canada and, uh, it just kind of, it kind of came through really, really late. And, and it was, you know, it was, they did the best they could, um, with what they had, you know what I mean? They, they, uh, they tried to, tried to put together a good solid program with very little budget, you know what I mean? And it was, uh, it was, it was tough, you know, and it was, it was one of those things where I kind of felt, I kind of felt, uh, I had a chip on my shoulder a bit because I felt like, uh, that Pedro and, Casey were like the main guys. Like I was just a dude that was there just to uh, fill a, fill a, fill a spot just in case. And, uh, you know, and then I thought, you know, and I, I had, I had the best results on the team, you know I mean? It was, uh, but I kind of went in thinking, oh yeah, but, you know, I was like just the, the, the fill in guy, you know what I mean? The kind of, and it ended up being a great, great, great year. You know, I mean, Pedro and Casey were just awesome teammates, like really good teammates. We had a good time. You know what I mean? Not only at the track, but, you sure. know, train, you know in, 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 during the week, playing basketball games against Casey, pissing him off so bad, you know, and uh, just fun, fun. It was a good time. I was going to say, uh, like, um, being being teammates with Pedro Gonzalez, uh, something that many uh, didn't have the opportunity to do. Uh, what was he like as a teammate on and off the track, uh, a guy, a fierce competitor, um, maybe, uh, wasn't, didn't have as good a fortune when he, when he would race outside of, uh, of Mexico, but a guy who always put in good results and, uh, um, like continued to have speed even, even in through the, the early two thousands and in through arena cross as well. Yeah. Arena cross Pedro was such a, um, 
technical rider. Like, he was really, really good at Supercross and obviously great at Arena Cross. And he was uh, he's just a really good rider. Outdoors, he just, you know, um, I don't think he had the fitness outdoors or the or the willingness to kind of let it hang out a little bit, I guess you'd say. Um, get him on a technical section of the track, and, you know, and the guy's spot on, you know. And um, But he just, you know, outdoors just wasn't his thing. You know I mean, really, really good Supercross guy, and the guy won a Supercross, crying out loud. And, um, yeah. you know, he was just, he was just you know, he was just a really, he was, but, uh, you know, as far as a teammate goes, just really good, really easygoing, just quiet, you know, but just a really easygoing guy, not the guy that's going to say, ah, oh, no, I don't want to do this, or, hey, where are you going to go? Just little things, like, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't care, wherever. You know, like, just not not difficult at all for, for, for anything. He's just a really, really, really good, really good guy. Really good guy. Same thing with Casey, Casey Johnson. Although Casey would let it hang out. I used to joke with him all the time. I'd say, dude, you remember he passed me one time at Moncton, and I was like, dude, your rear tire was in front of you. You were swapping so bad. I said, I knew I was going to see you you know, in, in another five minutes because you were going to be wide up and he ended up clipping a tree or something like that that day. And he comes off the track and he's just like, you know, he's like, you, you said I was out of control. I was going to, I was going to crash. And I did, man. And I was, I, you know, but we had, we had just a really good time on and off the track that year. It was a, it was a really good, really good and fun experience. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> a, a wild, uh, wild year for you. You're able to uh, be the top dog, and uh, that's what ended up uh, you basically being the, the marquee uh, rider for uh, the the KTM team in 2001, where you were riding not only a 520, uh, but uh, a, a 125. And uh, before we we hit record on this, you were mentioning that you were uh, having to apologize and uh, for 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 menacing a few of your fellow combatants because uh, back then you raced 125 and 250 class four four um, national motos every single day at a Canadian national, and you were doing one on a four stroke five 520 and a two stroke uh, ill handling uh, KTM 125. So, like. Tell tell me about that situation. Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was definitely a unique situation. I mean we, uh, we yeah, and that was actually a five forty. They had a they had a factory SXS. They were called yeah. They were they weren't allowed in the states. They were allowed in Canada, and uh, they were called SXSs at the time. And I had a one twenty five two stroke and a five forty, um, you know, four stroke. And uh, yeah, I mean I just you know everyone would be hanging out on the line before the motos. I would literally just go around and apologize. Hey guys, sorry, you know, sorry about the first couple laps here of this moto because heck, my 125 was really fast. The SXS was really fast, and I knew I was going to get a good. I, I I was fairly confident I would get good starts on it. Um, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to get good starts, so just just uh, don't mind me on the first first lap or two. So if I'm a menace, just don't worry about it. The same thing on the 540. You know what I mean? I'd be like, I know I'll be decent start, so um, I just used to apologize and say, all right, guys, I just just chill out. Don't don't be mad at me. Don't be hating on me if I, if I run into you because I I think I'm gonna get an engine break and I don't, or if I think I'm you know whatever depending on the bike. But it was uh, it was definitely a fun experience and uh, unique. You know, never really see anything like that. That that diverse of a of a bike selection over the course of four thirty minute motors a day. <laughs> no kidding, and no, like just the um the just the riding style differences that you'd have to have being like super aggressive on a one twenty five to uh being more smooth and and uh like just 
a totally different ride style on the uh, the 540. Like um, like you said, it take you a couple of laps to get used to each one. Um, what were some of the uh, the intricate intricacies of the two bikes? Like how did, how much did they differ as far as uh, the equipment that was on them? Well, the equipment that was, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, they handled actually. I, everyone, everyone used to complain about the handling. I didn't think that one twenty five two stroke. I could put that thing at, anywhere I wanted. I never had any issue at all with how it handled. Um, other people probably more sensitive than than myself. Um, you know, the people would complain. Oh, it doesn't have a linkage. It doesn't have this. Doesn't have that. I'm like, I, I never even. I, I never thought that that thing. I thought that that thing handled great. It handled fine. I never had any issue at all with it. The five, the five forty. The only. The only reason why it, it, you know, it just had, that was my first experience with a four stroke. And even now to this day, like two stroke versus four stroke, skating across stuff differently. Like you, if you got an off camera turn or whatever like that, two stroke, you're skating across it. It's fine. Four stroke, that thing will, will, will high side quickly and easily. And, and that, that was like one of the issues I had um, with the bike. It was, uh, you kind of had to, but it was so fast. Like I could kind of come a little bit slower across sections and then turn and shoot down the straightaway. And like the thing would go and it actually would be, I had to learn quickly that, man, you're going a lot faster than you think you are when you're coming into a turn. So the braking, I'm like, Whoa, I, I might have to break a little bit earlier than I, than I anticipated because man, you're, you're, you're flying That that bike picked up quickly and, and it flew. It was fast, you know? So a characteristic well, that's of right it, on. Uh, like that. You know, I, I think uh, it's what, something that's been pretty common in your entire career is your ability to just uh, go out and ride something. It was uh, like um, like put a bike together. I'll, I'll do I'll do um, my best with the with with the bike, and I, I'll feel comfortable with it. Around, like within a decent amount of time. Is that is that uh, fairly accurate? Yeah, I mean, I've always had to ride different, different. Um, I mean, I think that stems from growing up in NESC. You know, it's a long series down here. It starts in March and ends in November um, in New England, like, and it's set up in the two two series, spring and fall. So you've got two sixteen to seventeen race series, and every moto counts. And like, I've been at at tracks where I had to borrow bikes. I'm racing a Honda all year, and I'm borrowing a Kawasaki. You're racing, you know, whatever because your bike breaks. Back then, I had, you know, I'd have one bike. And if it broke, I'd have to borrow a bike to, to, to finish. And you just got to go out there and not set up for you, not anything for you, just go out there and race. And, and early on in my career, I did that a lot. Um, you know, bikes broke all the time back then. And uh, and in order to, to, to try and do well in the series, man, you'd have to borrow borrow a bike for the day or do whatever you had to do. And, and I don't know, I just never, it never bothered me to jump from bike to bike and, and, and just go. And they all have two wheels and a clutch and a brake and a throttle and just, you know, wing it and do the best you can. <laughs> well, either way, they all go faster. The harder, harder you twist on the uh, on the right side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and and you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know that even going into that fa- factory deal, I remember kids asking me, "Oh man, are you gonna do good?" And I'm trying to stay on this factory team. I'm like, it doesn't matter what what place I get. I'm going to work Monday morning, and it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna at that stage of the game, I wasn't planning on on getting a, a you know a, a factory ride, being able to quit my job and do all that stuff. It was just racing because I loved it, and uh, and and you know it. So so 
if you get thrown on a different bike, I just say, all right, do the best I can with it and, and hope for the best. And, and, and that's it, you know, not put any pressure on yourself. Yeah, that's that's where the way the, the the best way all of you guys ride is is that you you just uh, go out there, do your thing, and uh, and and let you your 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 skills come out. And uh, it's, you're, you're a guy who uh, some guys have a harder time tapping into that. You seem to be able to uh, to tap into those skills uh, almost uh, at will. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a mindset. You know what I mean? Like it's just like going to a mud race. Some guys psych themselves out for yeah. a mud race. And it's like, oh man, this is gonna stink and blah blah. If you go there with like, hey, you know what? Anything can happen in a mud race. I mean, if your mindset's right, then I think that that's half the battle. You know, just getting your mind right and not being being prepared. All right, that's it. It's gonna be a day. <laughs> so. Fair enough. So uh, after two thousand and three, or yeah, two thousand. 2002, you were uh, a, a team manager over at, uh, or at, no wait, 2003, you were the team manager over at KTM. 2004 comes around, and it's uh, you and Marco Dubé on uh, Diablo Hondas? Uh, no, me and Keith Johnson, actually. I don't know, where, I don't know. Dubé okay, did his yeah, own, so I think another local it was the first year Dubé doing his own team, yeah, it was me and Keith Johnson. Yep, we're on, uh, on Diablo, yeah. So, uh, how, how are those Hondas? The bikes? Yeah. I thought that they were good. Um, we uh, we didn't have any issues at all, I don't think, that year with the bikes for some stupid reason. And it's the weirdest thing. Since I broke my hand at Southwick with KTM and how my finger was bent, I don't know if I grabbed the clutch wrong or whatever like that, but uh, it didn't really have too bad of an effect on KTMs. But, man, in 04, I went through clutches. Andy used to get so pissed. I'd have to put a new clutch in every week, and I don't know what I was, how I was riding. I don't know. I don't know if because the KTM had the hydraulic clutch that it didn't affect it. Because I still, like now, the last couple of years on KTMs haven't had any issues with clutches at all. But uh, man, okay. after that, after that, I was hard on clutches for some reason. And uh, and Andy used to just, oh my god, he used to just get so pissed. Be like another clutch. I'm like, dude, just plan on a clutch every week, man. I got. I don't know what I'm doing, but. I'm trying not to ride the clutch, but I'm riding the clutch, I guess. You know, other than that, I don't really, we had no issues at all. I mean, that was a, a, a shoestring budget. Um, you know, Andy, Andy would rob Peter to pay Paul and, and keep the, keep the team going and whatever like that. And, and, uh, and we, me and KJ brought a lot of sponsors from, from home up there. Um, so Andy didn't have to worry about like pro circuit. We ran pro circuit pipes and all that stuff and uh, factory connection suspension. We did a lot of stuff that we brought to the table, um, so that Andy didn't have to do it. Um, but, uh, he was, he was just, a, you know, Andy was always a good dude that raced himself and, and knew, all right, yeah, you got to have pit presence and you got to have this, but we're not going to have pit presence. And I told the guys that, and Newf and, and Ian Hayden, I hope can attest to this too. I told them the same thing in all three. I'm like, listen guys, we, we, cause we're a factory team. We have to have some pit presence, but, as long as our bikes are good, and as long as we have everything we need, that's our main, that's my main focus. I'm not caring about having a huge awning and having this. We had a couple easy ups and stuff, and you know, go race. And that's how Andy's mentality was too. And that's how me and KJ came in that year. We were like, listen, we don't expect the world. We want to get, we want to get paid good if we win, and you know, we do. We show some good results. We want to get, we want to get paid, and we want to um, have good equipment and. And that's it, you know. Andy, Andy did an awesome, awesome job. I mean, Keith's mechanic Dave would get into it with him all the time because he was a, he was a big parts guy. He wanted 
you know, he wanted this, he wanted that, but, uh, um, Sandy was a good, that was, that was a good season too. You know what I mean? No, no complaints at all. For sure. And it definitely sounds like you had a lot of, uh, uh, great seasons, some seasons with up and downs, but you're still able to pull a lot of positives from them and, and uh, cultivate a lot of great memories. And, uh, maybe that's, uh, how you were able to, continue to have such a, a long, successful career, a, a guy who turned pro when Ricky Carmichael was six years old and still racing uh, professional Canadian nationals uh, and, uh, and no, no um, like, and very likely heading down to uh, Hurricane Mills in 2016 to, to, to Loretta's like uh, long since after a guy like Carmichael has uh, hung up the boots altogether. Um, so like uh, one of the questions I, I wanted to ask before I let you go was what do you attribute your longevity to? Like, is it, is it the fact that it's just still fun for you? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just really fun for me. And, uh, you know, me and daddy talk about that a lot. Um, the thing with somebody like Carmichael is, I mean, he's already done everything. I mean, Ricky's done everything there is to do. And, and, you know, even that year he went to Loretta's a few years ago, I mean, he had people bagging on him left and right about, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's the goat. Why should he become here? Sand, sand pick, to, you know, uh, sandbag in the, the plus 25 class, you know? So, and he had a blast. I mean, I hung out with Ricky. We drank beers at night at, at Loretta's that, that year. And he was like, he had fun. Um, and up to, to, to get ragged on like that. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like now I can't even race. That's another reason why I don't, I'm not racing Loretta's now is you can't even race half the classes. So now I'll, ha- I'll have to race the plus 25 class, which, you know, like realistically, twenty five is that a vet class? Come on, I was I was racing Canadian yeah. Nationals at you know thirty eight. You know what I mean? I'm still racing them now, for crying out loud. But uh, but um, that's not a plus twenty five class. You know what I mean? That's I mean that's not a so that class you could race if your name is in the vault and uh, and then forty forty plus. So I could ride those two classes. You know, and it's like I'm forty seven. You know, um, I can't even ride the forty five plus class because. 40, 30, like they did away with the 35. So it's like one of those things where you, you know, but having said that, like Ricky's not going to just go race because he's used to winning. You know what I mean? Like right now, um, yeah. but you know, Dowdy said the same thing as great as he did. He's like, I, I never won consistently. You know what I mean? Like that. He's like, I can go take an eighth and be happy with that. You know what I mean? Like I can, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. You know what I mean? He's totally pumped with going and mixing it up and racing. Some guys, race to win and that's it. You know, some guys will just race to win. And if they're not winning, they're not having fun. So, um, I, I never was like that. I, I enjoy the competition. I enjoy the battle. I enjoy the, the preparation for the battle. And it's, you know, and if I can whip up on a younger kid in the process and, and kind of, it makes me feel good. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is good. But I, I just enjoy, I enjoy the racing and I joke with my wife all the time. This is my golf. You know, some people go out and sit on the golf course on Sunday afternoons and, and smoke a cigar or drink a few beers and, and, and hit the ball or chase the ball around a golf course. I'm like, that's not me. I, I don't like that. I only golf if I absolutely have to, you know? And, uh, um, so that, that's, that's kind of why I still race. I mean, I still enjoy it. I still, you know, I mean, and nowadays, you know, and throughout my whole career, you know, working all the time, it was such a, it was such, you had to plan your, your, I had to plan out. I had to be so like, I don't even know what the word is organized, I guess, because, you know, I didn't have time to train and ride. And so something had to give, you know, and then once we had kids, it was like, all right, you know, something's got to give. So there'd be weeks where I didn't get to ride because 
the only time, the only thing I had time for was training. You know what I mean? And then there'd be, I'd leave Sunday at the track and then I wouldn't even look at a dirt bike until the following Sunday. And this is when I was doing nationals. You know what I mean? It was like, I'd have to pick what I would do during the week, you know, be a train or get out one day and ride or whatever like that, you know? So it was, uh, it was always, uh, I was always used to prioritizing stuff and, and, and whatever like that. And just, uh, it always worked out, you know, doing those things. For sure. It, it seems like uh, you, you've, you've, you've pulled so much passion out of the sport and uh, you just keep to gain momentum. And I guess you, you get a little bit frustrated with the fact that uh, there are certain classes that you can't enter through the Loretta Lins now that they've, they've put restrictions on that. It's very too bad to hear uh, that you can't do that. I was hoping to uh, hear that you were going to go toe-to-toe with John Gruy and finally take a championship off of that guy because he's got way too many. Um, but, um, yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's longevity, it's passion, and it's a love for the sport that keeps giving back to you. And, uh, I feel like, uh, you, you, uh, feel this, uh, compulsive need to give back to it, uh, even though, uh, you've already done so, uh, time and time again. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I feel like, yeah, that I've, I've been blessed with, uh, a lot of good sponsors. Like I said, I mean, I've had a lot of people help me over the years that have stuck by me through a lot of, I mean, obviously a lot of years of racing, you know what I mean? There's been a few of them that I've been, maybe been with factory connection since they opened their doors, you know, and Bell-Ray. you know, uh, yeah, Bellray back with Bellray now. And, uh, was with them for the longest time and, uh, um, pro circuit. Gosh, I've been with, with them forever. Um, and then just other, th- you know, other, other things that, that go, Along with, I've been with Dunlop for a long time. You know, I was with uh, Dunlop in the first major part of my career, and now back with them the last, um, the last four or five years again. You know, it's like, and and then when you go to other other, there's been some sponsors that have come and come and gone, but it seems like the people. You'll have somebody that used to work for this company here that you used to ride for, and then all of a sudden, all right, that they're over there. You know, and all right, yeah, yeah, definitely, I'll, I'll take care of you here and stuff like that. So it's uh it's uh yeah, it's been it's been it's been really good for me, and you know, I never, I'm I'm proud of it. I've never really, I've never burned a bridge with a sponsor. You know what I mean? I've always um, I've always just you know been straight up with everybody, and you know whatever. Like, I mean, go right back to the to the KTM gear. You know what I mean? I didn't just just the minute the factory called me for for that weekend. You know, will you ride for us? And then boom, I didn't just say yes. Boom, I'll see you later. I'm gone. So I called everybody, made sure that everyone was on board and everybody knew my situation and knew that they were, if they weren't happy with it, then, which I would have understood, then I wouldn't have done it. You know, it was, uh, I'm not going to give up a year's worth of, uh, loyalty for, for one race. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. So it's been, it's been a two way street. I've had a lot of, um, a lot of support and I feel like I've given a lot back. So it's, uh, it's been good. Really, really happy. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, it's, it's great to see a guy who uh, continues to uh, enjoy the sport, love the sport, and uh, uh, wanting to stay stay in it. Um, uh, just got a, a text request by uh, like from my phone here, a friend of Mike from uh, from it's from New Jersey asks, uh, "Do you recall the day at uh, Middleborough where Jojo Keller picked up his C- uh, seized CZ or CR and uh, like a potato sack and carried it off the off the track on his shoulder?" <laughs> um, no, I don't believe I was there. I mean, if I was, I was probably racing with him or whatever like that and didn't see it. But I've seen Jojo do some stuff that's just that guy, like not even on a dirt bike. That guy is literally one of the most talented people 
you're, you're ever going to meet. I mean, <clears throat> he, he, the stuff is endless that he can do. I mean, he can, he can ride a unicycle while juggling. He can, he does so many tricks. He, he can it, it just it, it shoot a basketball, hit a golf ball. I mean, the guy can, the guy's a phenomenal golfer. I mean, everything that he does or wants to do, he is extremely good at. He's just like one of those guys that's, uh, it's just, his talent is just limitless. It's just, un. so I wouldn't, uh, you know, and obviously his strength is, uh, is, so I wouldn't put it past him at all to have thrown his bike on his shoulder and, and, and carried it <laughs> at all. So, I wasn't there that day. I wasn't there that day, so, so I don't know. But what, definitely one of the guys I look up to and respect huge. The guy is phenomenal. And uh, if if you and Tony LaRusso lined up uh, on a gate with uh, at Southwick, no one around, you're both on uh, 252 strokes, uh, 30, 30 minutes plus two. Who's uh, who's coming out ahead? 30 plus two, I, I, I believe I would come out ahead. At Southwick, um, but having said that, um, you put us on one twenty-five two strokes, and it's a no-brainer. But the only thing is, like I say, thirty plus two. He's. I always used. We always used to joke. Um, Tony was like, always just a clip faster than me, and like, but I could always get him late in the motor. You know, and that that was my that was like one of my yeah. obviously like I've been saying that was one of my things. And we used to always have to pound out four twenty-minute motos in NESC, and he'd always like he'd win the first three. And and going down the line for the last moto, I'd always just psych him out and be like, Tony, you've never beat me in a four, you know, fourth moto of the day. You know, it's, it's not happening today. Yeah. And he'd just, he'd just be like psyched out, you know what I mean? Like going to the moto, so he'd know that I'd get him or whatever that, that last moto, you know. But uh, he's definitely, he's another one that's just uh, so talented, like really fast. He could just go up. Like he's, he's really right a champ two years ago that he went. If he doesn't stall his motorcycle and took him a full lap to start. I mean, he goes one, nine, one, and that's how Gruy won that championship. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's, um, you know, Tony was the fastest guy there, you know, but he goes one, nine, one and, and loses the title. You know, you got to put three motos together and, uh, and you know, go. And he's, he's one of those guys that's extremely, him and Keith Johnson, like they're so, I got to work. Like when I take, take a few months off from riding, um, I come back and I, you know, I got to ride for a day or two before I can, before I feel somewhat normal and they can literally yeah, just come back down. and, and they're just, they come back and they ride two laps on the track and then they're like right up to speed. You know what I mean? They're like, Oh wow. Yeah. Well, those first two laps, I felt kind of funky, but now I'm laying down the fastest laps of the day. You know, like it's, they're just weird like that. They're just like talented dudes. Yeah. Tony's another one that should have done, you know, could have, should have, would have, he, he definitely, he definitely had the talent and the speed to do better than he did. You know what I mean? Like he, he struggled a bit at the Supercross and national level, I think, at, at times when he should have done better. I think it was all mental in his, you know, in his, in his head. You know, he definitely was, definitely was good, definitely. Fair enough. Well, uh, Mike Treadwell, Iron Mike Treadwell, uh, it's it's been a pleasure. I uh, really, I uh, really enjoyed having some time with you, uh, just talk, and and uh, I hope that you'll you'll answer my phone if I call you up again to uh, chat moto and um, uh, yeah I just gotta thank you for giving me the time to uh, go through your career and um, yeah it's been a pleasure man you you've got tons of knowledge of this sport and uh, yeah if it's all right with you we'll we'll, we'll call you up uh, in in not too long a time to uh, to, to chat some more dirt bikes and uh, but uh, to do this 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 career rehab was a, was a huge thing for me and a guy that I looked up to and uh, was, I was uh, looking forward to, to, to talking to you and it was awesome. 
Uh, I really appreciate it. No, thanks for the call. And definitely anytime. I'm always loving to talk moto. Ask, uh, you know, well, ask Nuth and Galdi. We always, we always uh, bench race, so it's, uh, it's, it's good. <laughs> always love it. So I appreciate the call. Right on, man. Perfect. Well, uh, you have yourself a great day. Um, and uh, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.